0: Alright, well, welcome everybody today, and we are in um, <clears throat> Hosea chapter 14, we're wrapping up the book of Hosea, so we'll uh, wind that down today, and, and as you're looking for that, I want to mention a couple of things, uh, Vacation Bible School is coming up in June, if, if you want to serve in that, it's a great opportunity, and, and I'm always looking forward to what God does during Bible School, and looking forward to actually being able to have it this year, and then um, Easter is coming up in two weeks, it's hard to believe, it's it's right on us, but I want to mention uh, something really quick uh, about Easter, on Easter we usually have a lot of people here, and, and hopefully we will this year as well, and I want to encourage you to park well. Um, because if if we park like Alaskans, we don't really utilize our parking lot very well. We kind of leave usually about seven feet between vehicles, which means you can't really get one in between. But you you know if you put them together, you know with you know this much space in between them, there's plenty of room to open the doors, get out. And, and whatnot. Everybody's car is going to be spotless clean that day anyway, right? Um, you don't have to worry about getting dirt on you. That Well, that's a lie, but <clears throat> but anyway, um, park well, and if you can walk on, you know, to the building and have no problems with that, park away and leave the places up front for our senior adults and for guests who come, so just want to encourage you to uh, to think about that every year at Easter time. It seems like our parking lot sometimes gets overloaded people just drive through and drive on out and uh so we want to park well and and pray that it doesn't rain or get too warm before i know you're ready for it all to be over with but i'm telling you it needs to stay frozen for two more weeks because otherwise we're going to swim in here and uh i don't like that so anyway one year i brought waiters to get from my truck to the church it was bad and uh you know you just don't want to have that to happen um so anyway there there we are um and uh, so, as we get into Hosea chapter 14, Hosea um, concludes here, and it 's a call to repent and receive grace, so it 's twofold it 's a call to repent and turn to God and to receive the grace of God and, and Hosea he tells him, basically he starts in he tells him, this is, "This is how you come to God, this is what you say to God, this is how you come." to him, and then God calls them to return to him. So there's a lot of encouragement here as we come and, and wrap this book up and look at what it means to us today as, as followers of Jesus. So we want to look at three things in here. And the first one, following Jesus is absolute surrender to him in verses 1 through 3. To follow Jesus means to absolutely surrender to him. He says in verse 1, he says, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the bowels of our lips. Assyria shall not save us, we will not ride on horses, and we will say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. So Hosea begins with a call of repentance. He says, return to the Lord, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. This is the beginning point for all of humanity when it comes to knowing God. The, the place we start in knowing God is repentance. That's, that's where it begins. There's no other option available to us. There's no other way to come to God other than to repent and come through Jesus. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus said, there's there's only one way. There's only one way to God. I'm it. And the way that we do that is we repent. He gives another illustration of it in Matthew 7, 13 through 14. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So Jesus said there, there is this way into the presence of God, and it's a narrow gate. It's a, it's a straight, hard path. It's not the path of least resistance. It's a path where we have to be fully surrendered to God. So it's, it's really simple. And, and the message here is really simple. It just says, repent or turn from your own path and, and get on the path that God created you to be on. And, and for us, we would say that'd be the Jesus path, to get on the path that Jesus has called us to. In the book of Hosea, repeatedly states the necessity of turning from the gods of the world or the gods of man to the God who made us and gave us life in in chapter 3 verse 5 chapter 6 verse 1 chapter 12 verse 6 and now again in chapter 14 verse 1 is this call to return to God and his message is is this call to return to the God who made us who created us in his image and who loves us beyond imagination he loves us more than we could ever imagine imagine and that's the very heart for us today of the gospel message is that God has a tremendous love for us and a desire for us to know him and we come into the book of Hosea if if we come back and and run back through it real quick it's a picture of Hosea marrying Gomer in the very beginning of the book God tells Hosea I want you to go take a wife of whoredom I want you to marry a prostitute and, and I want you to love her. And so Hosea, he does. He goes and he marries Hosea, and um, he marries Gomer. Gomer, and, and then Gomer has three children with Hosea. And then after they have three children, we see that Gomer leaves Hosea. And then sometime later, we don't know how much time transpires in between these events, but eventually somebody comes and tells uh, tells Hosea, Hey, Gomer's on the auction block. She's being sold. And, and God tells Hosea, go buy her back, and, and it's a picture as we read it, we go, that is just, man, oh, she just doesn't deserve that, I mean, that, that's, that's harsh uh, to do, but, go, but God tells him to go buy her back, and, and we have this picture of the relentless love of God, in this story, in this life. As we see it, this is the love of God. And we see God and Hosea speaking in this book of Hosea. Uh, this first part is Hosea, these first three verses. Then we come in and we're going to have some narrative from God. And, and both of them, as, as one who has been spurned in marriage, is, is calling or a return. In Jeremiah 31 verses 2 through 3 it says, thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you it's the story of the love of God as we come in here and that's the story of God the story of God is a story of love of his love towards us reaching out to us or another way of putting it is Romans 5 8's been the verse we've had overarching all of this through the whole series and and that is God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us, that God sent his son Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross for my sin, knowing every detail of my life, and he still did it. He died for your sin, knowing every detail of your life, and he still did it. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. So Hosea is calling them to repent and telling them how to do it. He says to repent. And what he says, he says, take with you words and return to the Lord and say to him, take away all iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. In other words, we're not going to try to find salvation in Assyria. We're not going to try to find help from Assyria. We're not going to ride on horses. We're not going to trust our military. We're not going to become nationalists and trust in our nation to save us or our government to save us. And we will say no more our God to the works of our hands, to the idols, the things that we make and create, the things around us. And and he just wraps up by saying, in you the orphan finds mercy. In other words, we have been away from you and we are ready for you to bring us back into the family, to adopt us in and bring us in. So this is how Hosea tells them to do it. In 1 John 1, 9, the Apostle John put it in real simple terms. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, Romans ten nine and 10, Paul put it this way. He said, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, You will be saved, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So Hosea shows us how to leave self-reliant lives and become full-on followers of, of God. This is, this is what he's saying here. He's saying this is the way it takes place. You, you come in and you do that. And Jesus, if we come in today, we'd say Jesus is the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy. All the prophecy that we read in the Bible in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he's the, the first step is absolute surrender to Jesus as Lord and leaving behind the things that we trust in and to follow him so this is where it's coming in so in the very beginning after everything with Hosea and all the charges that God has against the people of Israel as they have left him and followed the gods of other nations he's he's coming back and saying you know what you come to God with the words on your lips that reflect the attitude in your heart and you lay it out to God and you ask for his forgiveness and and you come because he says because of your iniquity you have stumbled and he said now you need to come before God and then the next thing is that that following Jesus requires absolute reliance on him it's not just an absolute surrender to him but it's an absolute reliance on him as as we come in he says I will heal their apostasy I will heal their apostasy I will love them freely, for my anger is turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root in the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? it is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. So it's absolute reliance. Unconditional, absolute surrender leads to absolute reliance on God. God is promising to heal them from a, their apostasy. So we think about apostasy. What is apostasy? You know What, what exactly does that mean? What does it look like? In apostasy, is simply, it's simply just sin. It's when we do that which God did not create us to do. It's when we live, not the way that he called us and made us to, but we're doing something else. And, and it's, um, it's, God is saying that, that he is going to heal us from that because sin isn't just a bad habit that we change. Sometimes we think sin, well, you know, it's just a few that bad things that I do. Or Sin's not a habit that we change. He says he's going to heal them from their apostasy. What what God is saying is, is that our sin is a spiritual derangement. It's a blindness that only God can cure. Sin is way much more than that. It's something that destroys us from the inside out. And it, it prevents us from experiencing God the way that he created us to. And he's telling us that he will make it possible for us to be healed from our iniquity, and he freely gives his love and grace to cover our sin is what he's telling us in this. In Second Corinthians 521, the Bible puts it this way, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For us, we look at this in 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 uh in history and we see it and we see that Jesus came and Jesus became sin on our behalf. He, when, it, when the Bible says that he became sin, it says that he took our sin on him and he placed his righteousness on us. So he bore our sin and gave us his righteousness. And God goes forth from here. So after he talks about healing their apostasy, he gives several metaphors that, that um, describe his gracious provision he says, "I'll love them freely, for my anger is turned from them." And he says, "I'll be like the dew to Israel." We think the dew, you know, the dew on the grass. And and um, you know, a lot of times I think of the dew as a nuisance because it gets me wet when I'm walking in the morning through the woods or whatever. And and um, it's a sunny day, but you're getting wet. But the dew in the Middle East. Is is a, a huge thing because it was essential for the crops. The, they had a dry season, and during the dry season, the dew would water the plants, and and it would help them to bear fruit. It says he will blossom like the lily, and we look in and you know think, well, what it, what is he talking about? He's saying that that it's beauty that there's not only going. To nourish you, but I'm going to give you beauty and I, you'll take root like the trees of Lebanon. He shall take root. And to take root means that you'll have endurance and strength when you're strong and, and, and rooted and, and able to draw the nourishment of everything that you need. And then he goes on from there and says, His shoots shall spread out. And in other words, that, that he is going to be a, a luscious bush growing out and that his beauty shall be like the olive. And, and to say, you know, your beauty's like the olive, and, and don't tell your wife that. You know, that, that, that won't fly on, on, you know, for your Valentine's card. Your beauty shall be like the olive. But, um, but the olive provided food and fuel and medicine. It, it provided dressing for their hair. They put olive oil in their hair. And, and so this was something that was very um, important to them. It, it um, implied wealth and, and well-being. And then it says your fragrance like Lebanon and fragrance is the sensory pleasure associated with renewal. He's saying when, when you're renewed, when your relationship is made right with me, it's like a sweet fragrance that goes around. And when you smell that fragrance, it reminds you of me and of what I have done for you. And and so then he goes on and says that this nation will give off the fragrance of life to the people around them. And God's shadow, as he goes on, he speaks, there, he speaks about his shadow. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. The shadow is his protection and shelter. And then he says they shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. And the grain and, and the vine represent being sustained with food and drink and providing for others. And then he says, their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. So we're, we're all relying on Jesus for all the things. When we're relying on Jesus for the things that make us like a plant that springs up from a stump and gives life, as he says here, like your roots shall spread out he renews us he brings renewal into our lives and this is what god is saying to the people he's saying you've left me you are wallowing in your sin and 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 in your rebellion towards me but i want to heal you from that i want to take that away i want to take that sickness that's in you and give you life instead in renewal and, and a hope and a future and, and that's what it looks like when we follow Jesus. That's what it looks like in our lives. And then you come in in Lebanon. You know, three times he mentions Lebanon in this passage. And, and a couple of things to remember. Anytime you see three things happen, three, 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 in, in the Bible, that's an important thing. Um, and, and especially in, in Hebrew thought. And, and in that, so three times he mentions Lebanon. And, you know, we think about Lebanon, and I don't know much about Lebanon, you know, today. Where I know where it is in the world. but um, And I even, I've even known some Lebanese people. But, but Lebanon... In this context, it was the place where they were going for satisfaction. They were going to the gods of Lebanon to meet their needs. This is where they were going. They were going to Baal. Baal is the god of Lebanon. He is the god of the north. So when you come in the land, now this just sounds really weird to us because we don't think of God as constrained by geography. But in the ancient Near East, in in these cultures, in In the north, they would have their God. And they would say, the moment that I cross over into Israel, my God's no longer with me, and the God of Israel is there. And and I need my God to defeat this God, or this God is over here. So the people of Israel, they had bought into this, and they had forgotten that, that he was the God, that Yahweh is the God of all creation. And they were seeking after fulfillment from the gods of Lebanon. Or the the god of Baal. They wanted to get good things from the god of the north. And what God is saying is, all of those things that you were chasing after in false gods, you'll find them in me. You'll find them in me. All of the satisfaction that you desired, all of the hope, all of the security, everything that you were longing for, and you're chasing and trying to find it somewhere else, you need to come to me. Come to me and you'll find it. Where Jesus said, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden and in need of rest, come to me. Come to me. I'll give it to you. I will give you what you need. I will provide you with this thing that you are searching for. So the things that they were striving for were freely available to them in the covenant with God. And that's what following Jesus does in our lives. Today, he promises to deliver us safely to the Father. For instance, Jesus said in John six thirty seven, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. He says you know what he, he's saying to you today you know what it, it doesn't matter what your past is it doesn't matter what your baggage is it doesn't matter if anybody knows anything about you or or even if they did Jesus said you know what I know every detail of your life as a matter of fact Romans 5 8 God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He knew every detail of my life when he died on the cross. And he did it anyway. He's saying that I will receive you. If you come to me, I will receive you. And not only will I receive you, I will hold you. And I will hold you tight. And nothing can take you away from me. It's absolute surrender to and reliance on Jesus. And the result is a bountiful life. In John 15, 5, Jesus put it this way. He said, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me... You can do nothing, or for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Um, as, as we're coming in and, and looking, when we come in in this thing of believing, of confessing, of surrender, what it's saying is the things that we believe drive the things that we do. What I believe is what really motivates me. If I believe something, I will act on it, I will do it, I will lean into it and what absolute surrender means is that I believe that Jesus will take me and receive me like I am in all of my sin and shame and brokenness and in all of the sickness and disease that only God can heal me from I can't clean myself up from it because it's something that that just clouds our hearts and our minds he says I will take you and I will forgive you of that. I will give you a new heart. I will cleanse you and make you whole and you will be holy and blameless in my sight and from that point forward, I'll begin to work in your life to change you and he'll begin this process of change in our lives and he changes the way that we think and he changes the way that we act and as we come in and we look in in the book of Hosea, what he's saying is, is, is you're all a bunch of adulterers. And you have forgotten who you are. And, and this is the whole metaphor that goes over Hosea. The whole metaphor is marriage. It's marriage and faithfulness. And, and you know, God uses this continually throughout the Bible. And it's, it's a very interesting picture because you can go down to the grade schools. And in the grade schools, you, you can find two little girls talking about a little boy. And one of them will say, he cheated on me. And the other one will say, he's the scum of the earth. You know? And I mean, it'll go into junior high, into high school. It'll go into grown-ups. He goes all the way across the board. Because you know what? If somebody says she cheated on him, what's the immediate thought? Scum of the earth. Can't believe. That's just horrible. How could someone do that? Because that, that what it says is betrayal, Right? It says betrayal. It says that I promised to be faithful to you, but when you weren't looking, (laughs) I decided I'd do something else. And and immediately, it throws your character into question. It just throws everything out the window, and there's this big cloud of confusion. And this is what happens in Hosea. Hosea marries someone whose circumstances are, are, you know, we look at it and you go, God told Hosea to marry a what? So, yeah, go take a wife of whoredom. And you say, go take a wife of what? And, and immediately we look at it and go, oh, this is, this is going to be interesting. And then you would think, you know, after, after he brought her out of that, brought her in, and, and Hosea, the prophet of God, and in all the places of all, that, that you'd have this thing going on and that, that everything would be happily ever after, but not quite she left him and then after she left him and things got so bad what did he do he went and redeemed her not only did he redeem her into his home but he restored her as his wife so we see that picture and that's the picture of God in us that's the picture of what God has done in us. And, and that's why when we look at marriage and we look at male and female and, and we try to wonder what, what, what is this? You know, why, why, why are things like this? And, and why is it? And why have we been designed this way? And what is it? It's because God has chosen to do this. And He has chosen through this picture of marriage, to show us what it's like to be faithful to someone and, and to be intimate with someone and to share with someone the, the things that you share with no one else and to trust someone implicitly and to know what that is. And He has done it and He has created us male and female that a man marries a woman. And He has made us a perfect complement of one another. Because we are the reflection of God. And you know what? A man alone doesn't reflect God. And a woman alone doesn't reflect God. But together, a man and a woman... We encompass all of those qualities of God because God isn't just, just a, a masculine God. He is also a feminine God. And we, you know, sometimes you go, well, what about God? Yes, God has feminine characteristics and masculine characteristics because God is neither male nor female. He is God. That is biblical. It is right and it is true. And he has created us male and female and together when we come together in a union, we fully reflect who He is. And if you're single, you fully reflect God as well. It doesn't say that you're not. It just says that in this marriage relationship, this is how He's chosen for things to come. And, and He's made us male and female. And, and so we, we look at it and we think, you know what? Is it bad to be male or is it bad to be female? No, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I have a wife and three daughters. I've been married for 33 years and, and I'm surrounded by girls. And you know what? They're not that hard to understand. People make jokes about it, but you know what? They're really not that hard to understand. They're just girls. And, and, and that's the way that God made them. And you know, I never wondered if they would be girls or boys. The moment they popped out, I knew what they were. No surprise. No choice. No anything. They're boys and girls. And, and God creates them Boys and girls, male and female, He created us this way. And, and we come in and, and we look at that and He created us to be married, a man and a woman. Why? So that we can reflect the glory of God and, and so that we can understand what this means and so that as we come together in love, we reproduce. And we live in a family and in this family, we, we train our children To know and to understand God. And and as we come in, this is a holy union. It is a sacred union. It is a union that's beautiful and right. And it teaches us to understand the God who made us. And we've perverted it. We've turned this union into something totally different. I think maybe the vilest offense against humanity is pornography. You may think I'd come up with a lot of other things, but I want to tell you what pornography is. First of all, let's have a Greek lesson. You know what pornea means, porno? Evil. And you know what grapho means? Writing, pictures, graphics. Evil graphics. When somebody's watching porn, you know what they're watching? Evil. Evil. There's no other word for it. It's just evil. You can't change it, you can't fix it, you can't do nothing with it. You know why it's evil? Because what God designed a man and a woman to be in union, in marriage, together, alone, in the in in private, is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Sacred. Holy. And we don't talk about our sexuality in those terms, and we should, because our sexuality is sacred. It's holy in the act of a man and a woman joining together in the bonds of marriage and, and coming together is holy and sacred. God created it. It's not dirty. It's not ugly. It's holy. Because we're created in the image of God. And He created us in this way. And He said, be fruitful and Multiply. So it is. But you know what? When someone else looks upon it, it becomes evil. It becomes vile. What is meant to be sacred between a husband and a wife is to never be gazed upon by anyone else. And that's what pornography is. It degrades people. It degrades women. It degrades men. It degrades our children. Because now we have kids who are in grade school who are watching pornography. You say, no, no way. Yes, they do, because some knucklehead gives their grade school kid, and if that's you, I'm sorry, but they give their grade school kid an iPhone with unfettered access to the scum of the earth, to the sewer of the world. It is pornography. And and those kids, they don't understand that sex is a gift from God to be celebrated within the bonds of marriage between a man and a woman. Instead, they see it as just something that's out there for fun and pleasure. And and they don't understand that it robs them of their dignity. It gives them a distorted view of the other sex. And and it destroys our our world. It's destroying our world. It's destroying our culture. And it's because people don't understand the 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 glory of what God's design is and, and, and made, and and we come in and and then we come in and and um, there's a bill before Congress right now called the Equality Act. In that, it it basically is going to enshrine all of this stuff into law. And and um, it, it's a horrible thing. And and, and as you come in, um, um, you look at it and say, well, you mean that we have to say if we speak out against homosexuality or any form of sex outside of marriage that, that we are discriminating? Yeah, that's, that's what it says. And, and it will make me an outlaw. It'll make all of us outlaws because our church stands firm on the word of God, not on the things of man. And, and so we come in and, and, and we look at that and then we come in and we look and go, well, you know, wow, those are terrible things. But you know what? We have people um, decide, you know what? Well, we're just going to live together before we get married and see how things work out. Well, that's stupid. People who live together before they're married are much more likely to divorce than people who, who reserve sex till after marriage. It's just, it's a flat out, hands down stat that's true. Hands down. Twice the likelihood of divorcing if you live with someone before you're married to them. It's just a bad idea. You know why it's a bad idea? Because God said so. Not because I did, because God said so, and it just works out that way. You know, it it always fleshes out. The Word of God always fleshes out to be true. So so we have that, and, and we come in, and we have all different manners of things and we look and, and just say that we don't love people we love everybody we love everybody regardless of what their sin is it doesn't matter what kind of sin you have we're all sinners right but what matters is is that we turn and repent and leave it behind this is what God is saying this is what Hosea says in, in verse 1 return he says turn 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 away from that look that's what you were it's not what you are it's what you were and, and so he offers healing to the person who's caught up in pornography. If, if that's you, which is a humongous percentage, I guarantee you, the people in the room that have a problem with it, um, that's just the way it is. And, and if that's you, there's nothing, nothing to hold in the dark. Admit it, get help, and move forward from it. We can help you with that. We can help you with that. And, and you wouldn't be the first person to say, you know, I've got this addiction. I've had people tell me that before. And, and I'm not going to go, oh man, you've got to be kidding me. Seriously? No, no, nah, nah, you're going to have to get better than that to, 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 uh, to, to knock me off my rocker. I've heard a lot. You know, so, so we've got that. You know, another thing we've got, we've killed millions of unborn children in this country. You know why we kill them? It's not women's fault. It takes a man. <laughs> you know, last time I checked, two women can't produce a baby. Neither can two men. It takes a man and a woman. And and you know what? A lot of times it's the man pressuring the woman to do it. Or it's the parents pressuring the daughter or the son's girlfriend or wife to do that. And we've done that. You know why we do it? Because it's it's uh it's convenient. Because we worship those gods of convenience, and we don't want to be stuck with having to take care of the problems that this might present. And and you know, you look at that and you go, "Wow, well, well, that that one's knocked me off my socks before." The first time I talked about this, <clears throat> there was a young girl came down, and and she told me, and, and I was, I guess I was just kind of stupid, but but she said. I just had an abortion six weeks ago, and I didn't want to do it. But my boyfriend he he was making me do it, and my parents were making me do it, and and I just couldn't I couldn't not. They made me do it. They took me and made me do it. And I've been having these nightmares, and she started telling me about the nightmares, and they would make your skin crawl. And, and she said, "I killed my baby boy. I killed my baby boy." And. And just looking, you know, where do I find forgiveness for this? And and we all look at it and we couch it in nice, clean terms and everything else. But you know what God calls it? He calls it apostasy. He calls it sin. He calls it a sickness. He calls it an evil. He calls it something that robs us of our dignity. He calls it whoredom. And and so as we come in and and we look in those things, he, He comes in and what God is saying is, I want to heal you from this. I want to make you whole. I want to take you out of that. I want to take you and set you up from these things that destroy you. And I want to make you clean and holy and blameless in my sight. And then I want to take you on a journey with me. I want to take you on a journey with me that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's what he wants to do in our lives. So as we come in, he he says this and and he says that, oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? I, I I don't mess with that stuff. I cleanse you from that stuff and I pick you up out of it, and I make you whole again, and it is I who answer and look after you, and I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. He just says, look, you come to me, and I'll give you life. I will give you life. And then in verse 9, we see that absolute commitment to the journey with him is the final part of following Jesus. Following Jesus means absolute commitment to the journey with him. So we absolutely surrender absolutely rely and then we absolutely commit to the journey and, and that's what it is so you come in and you say you know what well there's stuff in my life there's sin that i struggle with well welcome to humanity we all do there's not a perfect person in the room none of us have arrived none of us are perfect nobody's got it all together we all have our issues everybody brings baggage But what God is saying is, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors, transgressors stumble in them. So you kind of look, it kind of sounds like a riddle when you first look at it. Whoever is wise, let him understand. Whoever is discerning, let him know. And you go, okay, am I wise? Am I discerning? Which am I? And what he's saying is, he's saying, plumb the depths of the word of God. Look. Invest in it. Get into it. Read it. Read His Word again and again. Meditate on it. Think about it. Memorize it. Roll it over in your brain. This is why I talk about this so frequently, about reading the Word of God, and I'll never quit. But look, I read through the Bible every single year, and that's not my sermon prep or Bible study prep. None of that stuff. That's just me. That's me prep. That's prepping me. And I read through it. Every single day, I got all summer off. I'm not going to take a summer off from the Word of God. Thank you for the sabbatical. I'm I'm looking forward to it. But I'm not going to take a sabbatical from the Word of God. That would be stupid. That that would be just not not wise. And, And the thing is, the more time you spend in the Word of God, the more you realize that there is inside of it. You see, the Word of God, are like the, is, it's like the depths of the ocean. You know, I, I like to geek out on, on a, lot of, a lot of different things, but it's kind of the way my brain runs. But I'll read these, I'll see these headlines that say, you know, they found life in the ocean at 20,000 feet or whatever, you know, my my brain runs, this is, this is weird, but I think, okay, that's eight pounds a foot times 20,000, that's a lot of weight down there, and, um, you know, everything's got to be compressed and crushed, and there's no light for life or anything else, and go, yeah, they, they uh, sent this thing down there, and way down, you know, thousands of feet, and they found that there's life down there, and you're just kind of going, what in the world could live there, and, and, you know, who would have thunk it, you know, I mean, you know, who would have thought, Who would have thought that you could do that and and that something's lived? But God did. God made it. He created it. And and it's the depths of God's creation that we we, we are trying to find out more and more and more, you know, sending stuff up to Mars and everywhere else. Why? Because we want to learn about our creation and everything. But you know what God is saying? If you want to learn about the creation, learn about me. Learn about me and I will unlock the keys to understanding everything else. I will help you to do that, and there's nothing wrong with with science and all that. As a matter of fact, I think it's amazing and great that we can see the glory of God through all those things. But coming in, we just need to plumb the depths of the Word of God because the Word of God is like the ocean. It is deeper and, and deeper and deeper, and no matter how much time we spend in it, we're never going to get everything out of it. It's a lifetime journey that we go and we follow him, and I always learn something when I read the word of God. Every time I go through the Bible, I can come back at the end of the year and go, you know what, there are things that I've learned about God that I didn't know before. There are things that I've, I've figured out, and, and he'll do that in your life. If you've never read through it before, start this year. And you know what, Here, here's a promise I'll make you. First of all, you're going to scratch your head a whole lot. And read it through next year, and you'll scratch your head a little bit less. And it'll start to make sense. And, and you'll begin to start to see, and you might even be able to pronounce some of the names, or you could just change, change them to Bill, Joe, Ted, Bob, whatever. You know, God's fine with that. You don't have to pronounce all those names, but, but just go on, because the more that man explores the depths of God, the more he discovers, the more that we plumb the depths, the more we learn about him. In Colossians 2, 1 through 3, um, <clears throat> Paul said, "'For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you "'and for these that lay out to sea, "'and for all who have not seen me face to face.'" that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery. This is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Romans 11, 33-36. Oh, the depth of the riches and knowledge wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Or Psalm 139, verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. You see, it's in the word of God that we find wisdom and we find direction for life, and as we come in and we see that, we see how we relate to one another, how we relate as families, how we relate in marriage, how we relate to the world around us and the people around us, how we relate to the people who don't know God and, and who don't want to follow Him. How do we do that? And when we begin to filter our lives through His Word, we begin to make sense of it all, and we understand that you know what? Not everybody's gonna like us, not everybody's gonna like our message. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> I may have said things this morning that offend you. But I want to say, it's not me, it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God, and and that's just the way that it goes, And, and it's when we filter our lives through the Word of God that we begin to make sense of it all, and we see the magnitude of His love towards us. We see that in all of our brokenness, in all of our shame, in all of our hurt, in all of our sorrow, in all of our regret, in all of our sitting and wondering who, how, How can I ever go back? Or how could God ever accept me? Or how could God ever receive me? Or how would anybody in this room ever let me come back in this room if they knew about me? Then we see that God says, I have shown my love for you in this, that while you were in the middle of it all, I died on a bloody cross, and I took your sin and shame, and I gave you my righteousness. Come to me, and I will give you life. Life. You see, that, that's the story of God. The story of God isn't that we're a bunch of evil, wicked, nasty people and we've all messed up and that we ought to be ashamed of ourselves and that nobody could ever love us and, and that you can never do anything and, and blah, 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 blah. That's all a lie from the pit of hell. The story of God is that in spite of our sin, in spite of our shame, in spite of our brokenness, in spite of everything that we've done, that Jesus came. And He loves us so much that He took it all. He took it all. And when He took it, He gave His righteousness. So that we are no longer labeled as sinner. We're labeled saint. And we are holy and blameless in the sight of God. And that's what Hosea began with. He said, look, you come to God. You admit your sin. You admit your guilt. You admit your shame. You don't have to admit it to everybody in the room. Look, everybody in the room has got enough baggage of their own to hold on to. We admit it to God and God forgives us. And we ask for his forgiveness. And then we say that we're going to bring the fruit of our lips to you. We're going to bring our praise to you. We're going to give our best to you. We're going to follow you. We're all in. Doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect and make all the right decisions right off the bat. But we're going to get on the journey with Jesus. And we're going to move and let him shape and change us and bless us in amazing ways. He'll bless your marriage. He'll bless you in your work. He'll bless you in your home. He'll give you wisdom as you raise your children. He'll help you to understand the things around you that you can't. And and he does it as he comes in bit by bit, piece by piece, as we go and we walk through that. You see, it's as we filter our lives through the word of God, that we make sense of it, that we see the magnitude of his love towards us, and we see the future that he has for us. You see, it's really easy to get sucked into the gods of the age. It's really easy to go off to Lebanon. It's really easy to look for help somewhere else. It's really easy to look for satisfaction somewhere else. It's really look easy to look for peace somewhere else. But Jesus said, you know what? I'm here. I'm waiting on you. I love you. I created you. I know you. I died for you. And I long for you to know me. I long for you to come to me. And, and you're welcome to come to me. And if you come to me, I will receive you. And no one can take you from my hand. That's the promise. And it's the fear of letting go. It's the fear of holding on and and letting go of what we have in our hands of the things that we can see and the people around us for what it's the fear of that that keeps us from receiving what God has for us you see it just boils down to an absolute commitment to going on the journey with Jesus and trusting him with the details. That's all that it comes down to. It's so simple and so easy. And that's what God is crying out to each of us today, saying, look, he's saying if you haven't stepped up and turned to Jesus, if you haven't absolutely surrendered to him, he's calling you to do it today. And he's not calling you to do it to to shame you or to shame you in front of other people. He's calling you to it because he loves you and he wants you to be whole and holy and blameless and righteous and experienced life the way that he made you to and you can do that today by just saying god i'm sorry I'm wrong and you're right and I'm turning from that and I'm going to turn towards you and I'm going to walk with you and I want to go on the journey with you and I want to learn from you and I want to plumb the depths of your word and you begin to study it and get together with other people and look at it and they'll help you on the journey and, and you know what the cool thing about it is? Everybody in the room's got some baggage and in that baggage they've got some wisdom that they learned from it and they'll help you and they'll help you to move from where you are where God made you to be that's that's the hope of the gospel let's pray father we praise you for the love the kindness and the goodness that you have for us for the blessings of the gospel for the hope that we have in you and for your grace and mercy that are made so evident for us father help us to see your grace to see your mercy father to see you as you are Father, I pray for those here today that that have not taken the step of following You. And I pray, Lord, I pray for them that they would turn to You and, and receive the refreshing and the blessing that comes from You. I pray that they would receive the comfort and the strength and the assurance of knowing You, knowing that they're fully loved and fully accepted by You. Father, that You have a hope and an inheritance held securely for us in your presence for all of eternity. And it comes through Jesus. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, here's the message of Hosea. Our middle names are Gomer. That's it. You know, it's a bad name, but basically we're all Gomer. And what God is saying is, is I have a plan and a purpose for you, and I'm asking you to step in, to lean into me. And I want you to go with me and experience life. Would you stand as Kirk leads us?